0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I don't even know how to describe the mood that I'm in right now. One, it's 10.56 on Thursday p.m. I should have been recording this podcast. I've really been in the house all day and have done like a bunch of nothing. I have, I have no excuses. I've been up since 6 a.m. I turned in the treatment for my TV show to the network yesterday. And I can't give you details on what the show is and, and who the network is. Some of you have figured it out, especially if you've gone into my Instagram bio. So for the last month, I've been working on the TV treatment, including while I was traveling. So if you're not familiar with what a TV treatment is, it's kind of like... A proposal for a book or a more flushed out outline. So obviously what the show is and, and a description of the setting of the show, like give you a sense of, of the mood, how they move, how they live. What is their lifestyle? Things like that. Who the characters are, the leads and the supporting cast. And most important, I think, what is this show going to be about? What are the overarching not really themes, but plot points. What's the story that you are going to tell? I'm very comfortable telling stories as a as a journalist, as a blogger, as an author, and almost any other medium. But this is my first TV story. When I did Don't Waste Your Pretty, the film like I EP'd that one, but I wasn't writing it. And they brought in a writer, a very good writer, Katrina Ogilvie, who she wrote the treatment in consultation. But, you know, it was her during the writing. She got the writing credit. And then she also wrote the script. But this is like my first time just, you know, doing my own thing. And, you know, I was talking to my lawyer today. I was writing on Facebook, which I'm far more candid there than I am on on Instagram I have a private Facebook page, which, you know, sometimes people screenshot and share, but I don't really say anything that I'm not comfortable with the world knowing. I'm just more candid with that audience because most of them have been around since like 2007, like the Bell and Brooklyn years when I first started my blog. But I've been, you know, keeping them abreast of, you know, there's this treatment and it's due and I'm on deadline and, you know, I sent it to the lawyer who had no reaction. Like she was like, yeah, I added a couple periods and I took out a typo and I changed the cover page. But otherwise... And I was like, this, this is all your notes. Like you don't have any other notes. And she was like, no, you thought I was going to rewrite it. I'm not a writer. I'm a lawyer. I was like, I know, but like any feedback. And she was like, it's very Demetria. I was like, I think you mean that as a compliment. She did. But that's the only feedback I've gotten. Like I I sent it to the network. They acknowledged they received it and they were like, yeah, we're going to send it around the office and you know, we'll get back to you with our thoughts. I was like, um, okay. So I'm just on pins and needles until further notice waiting for the network to get back to me with my thoughts. Like I, you know, infused it with all of my Demetria randomness, which, you know, some folks get and some folks don't. Maybe they'll get it. I hope they get it. If you know me and you're used to me, like you're like, yo, this is random. And this is like hilarious. But if you don't know me, you're like, is she on drugs? So I don't know. I don't know how they're going to take it. We'll see. I think it's good. I'm like on pins and needles. And then I was talking to my agent the other day, my literary agent, and I was talking to her about, you know, my writing projects. I've been like writing some variation of the same book for like a really long time. And she's actually really good about it. Like she doesn't pressure me, which she probably needs to because like, you know, she's been my lit agent for a while now. And I've produced I've produced like a couple proposals, but it's not the right one. And so we were talking the other day about what is the right one for me to write at this time. And so there's obviously like the book of essays about like, you know, pivoting and things that change you in life, um, which I'm actually looking forward to writing. I've been informally writing the essays, but ask me whether the proposal is finished. That's a whole nother story. We talked about that. And then we also talked about like the Vivian story where she was like, I mean, honestly, between me and you, she's like, I want the Vivian story. And she knows more about the story than anybody else. But she was like, I want the Vivian story. And then my lawyer was like, so can you like, you know, do whatever you need to do for your literary agent and then can you, you know, get over here and can we talk about how to sell this thing? Can, can you write another treatment? Oh, that's what I was about to say earlier when I was talking about the treatments. You know, when I went to writing school and they taught me how to, you know, develop characters and, and create good story, pacing a script and in, in all of those things, right? So They were like, oh, you know, you have to write this script in order to sell a TV show. Right or film, I was doing TV writing, but still, actually working in the industry, everyone was like, "Who does that?" The one thing I really needed to like know how to do was to write treatments, which no one ever taught me how to do in writing school. Like when this thing came up, and they were like, "Yeah, Demetria, like write the treatment." I really had to like call a couple writer friends and be like, "So, is there a template for a treatment? Like, what what is a treatment supposed to look like?" Because I was like, I can write anything. You just got to tell me like how to write it and how to format it and like what's supposed to be in it. But nobody told me how to do a treatment. And I was like, so I I was like, I don't need to write like a spec script for like the first episode. And they were like, no, why would you do that? Really? Really? So like, you know, three to five pages. And I was like, are you serious? They're like, yeah. You want to do more work than that? Not to say I went to writing school for nothing. Like I'm sure a script writing will come in handy, but I don't know when. I told you about the job for the writer's room and it was like 40 hours a week on East Coast time. And I was like, oh, oh no, I work 60 hours a week for myself. I don't mind doing 15 hour days. I don't mind working weekends, holidays. Like I'll do I'll do whatever it takes for stuff for myself. But 40 hours a week for somebody else. Not if I can avoid it. Now, if rent is due and I don't have the funds, I'll do what it takes. But if I can avoid that. I listen to y'all complain about y'all jobs. I don't listen to y'all complain about benefits. That's one thing I'll give you. But I listen to like nine to five people complain about their jobs. I'm good. My friend, today was her last day at work. I could say that because it's official. Like, Davita, who I was traveling with in Mexico, she gave notice. She gave 30 days notice for her job. I know she listens to the podcast, so congratulations, Davida. She is flying solo for the first time in her, like, real adult life. She's had the same good-ass job for a minute but she has you know other projects she has her body butters line caitlin in ottawa and her group trips to, to ghana which i'm supposed to be hosting one in december delta variant willing we're supposed to go on this like family trip together me her her sister and maybe one of our friends and it's on the other side of earth right she booked the trip for essentially five days in this like major country i was like how are we gonna go all the way over there for five days. And she was like, well, I only have so many vacation days. And I was like, you ain't got no job. She ain't got no nine to five. Like the girl got two jobs. She owns two companies. She was like, I didn't even think about it. Like, I just, I'm just not like accustomed to just being like, I could just go and be and stay. And I don't have to like give somebody my days or like check my like PTO. I'm good. I was like, so we may need to change the dates for this trip. FYI. I was like, either way, I'm going. I might just be gone for a while. I Say sayonara to y'all. Y'all can fly back to the U.S. And then I'll fly to the next city. That might be how that goes. I'm not sure yet. My mother is like completely freaking out. She's like, oh my God. Remember when I went to Istanbul and I told my mom and she was like, oh my God, you're going to Syria. And Istanbul, a city in Turkey is 800 miles from the border of Syria. But my mother was not trying to hear it. This time I told her where I was going and try, or trying to go, rather. My mother was like, you're going to Sudan? I didn't say I was going to Sudan. That's not what I said, mother. It's not what I said. So we'll see. We're still trying to figure out what this itinerary looks like. I'm totally going. COVID willing. But no. So she's like adjusting for the first time in her like grown, grown adult life to like just being free and setting your own schedule. Which is real tempting to like fuck off sometimes, but it's also like, you know, you eat what you kill. You don't kill, you don't eat. You do learn to be disciplined relatively quickly. But I was telling her today, I was like, come November of this year, I would have not had a full-time job for 10 years. And I remember when I quit my job, my goal was just to make it two years. I was like, if I make it two years, I'll figure it out. But just, I need to make it two years. And Never miss the bill, never miss the rent payment. There were times when I was like, you know, I can't really go on vacation right now. That's probably not the best idea. Might want to stay here and work, kill something so you can eat. But otherwise, it's been a good run. I really need this treatment to be greenlit so we can have a great run. Move into a new chapter. I'm still pissed that people ain't teach me how to do a treatment, though. I was talking to my lawyer and I was like, so no script. No script at all. And she was like, no. Why? <laughs> That's the one thing I do know how to do at this point. I also had this really great meeting. My um, my professor from grad school, Gary, was in town. We went to Avra in Beverly Hills the other day. He's so tickled about my life. He's like very paternal with me. He's like, I know how old Gary is. Maybe like his late 50s. He's Jewish. Um, I have no idea how old Gary is. I mean, like, his black niece. It's, like, it's not even weird. Like, he's, like, been my mentor for, like, a good 20 years now. I pointed out to him the other day. I was like, yo, you met me when I was 21. Like, you've known me literally half my life. And he was like, and you look just the same. And I was like, Gary, yeah, you probably need glasses, but God bless you. But he asked me, he was like, because I was telling him about my book projects, and he was like, can you write fiction? I mean, it's like, I write, like, TV. I was like, that's all, like, fiction. And he was like, huh. That'll be interesting. And I was like, yo, like I edited fiction for like five years. Like, I think I can do this. And he was like, huh, Uh, we'll see. I was like, what the fuck do you mean we'll see? I think he was joking. I hadn't turned a proposal in by then. So like, I wasn't like crazed and maniacal. It's really bad. Like I laid down on the rug the other day and put my forehead on the floor to like self-soothe. I couldn't find anything metal. It's bad. Like my nerves are like a wreck. Anyway. Hopefully the edits come back soon. What is going on in the world that does not revolve around me and my problems? Let's see. I watched um, Denzel's son. He has a new film on Netflix, John David Washington. who I, You know what? I want to say this before I, I give any reviews of the film. John David Washington is a beautiful, beautiful man. And I think he has immense talent. I was first introduced to him, as was the rest of the world, because I think it was his first role, in Ballers. He was a complete asshole. He was wonderful to watch. His choices since then? I know there was the Spike Lee movie that won an Oscar, The Black Klansman. I'm glad Spike Lee got his Oscar that he should have got for Malcolm X or for Do The Right Thing. But I thought that film was just okay. He had Tenant, which was supposed to be a huge blockbuster that... It was pushed back a bunch because of the, um, the pandemic. So it didn't really get like a good shot that it should have. I tried to watch it because, again, to support Denzel's son, didn't finish it. What's the other film? Malcolm and Marie. It wasn't bad acting. It was just an uncomfortable film to watch, but it wasn't bad per se. The macaroni thing threw everybody off. But like, it's not like he wrote it. There was something else he was in, wasn't there? But then there's this new film on Netflix, Beckett. And it's about John David. And I'm not going to give any spoilers or anything. It's about John David and this white lady. It's his girlfriend. And they're on vacation together in Greece. You know how, like early on in bad films, you get a sign that, like, this is going to be some trash, ain't it? There were many signs. And I ignored them all because I was like, oh, it's John David Washington. And, you know, I like his daddy very much. And he and his daddy are nice on the eye. I was like, I'm going to stick with it. There was a scene earlier in the film. And they're like a very much like in love couple on vacation. And he's like being weird. And she's like, what's going on? And he says, I'm having a love attack. (laughs) I thought to myself right then, what is this shit? What is this? this movie wasn't written for a black person and they didn't make any adjustments for a black person being in this role. Now they got this black man out here saying corny shit. I want to tell you about this film without giving too much away. I wrote about it on my Facebook page. I was like, I tried to watch this film to support Denzel's son. It was terrible. And somebody in the comments was like, yo, he got treated like a gym duffel bag. The whole film. And I was like, yo, that's exactly what it is. Like, he got fucked up in that film. And it's so bad that I didn't even care. He's getting his ass beat again. He's jumping out a window again. He's jumping off a cliff. He's jumping off a parking garage. Like, he was just doing wild shit. And I was like, yeah, you deserve to get fucked up. Because you're just doing stupid shit. You get shot at. Like, there's so much shit that happens. And he looked terrible by the end of the film. Like... Kudos to the makeup people, because, you know, I watched that makeup show also on Netflix. Glow Up, I think it is. I watched two seasons of Glow Up, so now I think I'm a critic of professional makeup artists. Still can't do a smoky eye, but I'm expert at criticizing yours. It is fucking terrible. Don't waste your time and watch Beckett. It's trash. And, and you know, like, when I review films, I, I usually try to find something nice to say. If you would like to physically watch it. It's shot decently enough. John David Washington, even fucked up, is, is still attractive. He has a beautiful grade of hair, too. Very full, very fluffy, fluffy hair. That's the best I can say about, his film, about this film. John David Washington looks good, and his hair looks nice. Otherwise, yeah, I ain't care about him. I ain't care about that girl. I ain't care about, I don't want to give the shit away. But, like, I just didn't care. I was like, all these people could die, and I don't give a shit. But you can, if you want to support, stream the film, turn the volume down, and like do something else. If you just want to support a black actor, which, you know, I've done my part. I was reading something the other day. I think it was on Son of Baldwin. And he was talking about, so I'm not going to see Candyman. And I want to support the film. So he went online and he found a black-owned movie theater. And he bought tickets for Candyman on the black movie theater site to support the black theater and to support a black film, but he ain't going to see it. I was like, that's brilliant. I think that's what I'll do. Cause I was just going to like buy tickets from the AMC just to support Yaya. But I'd much rather give my money to a black owned theater. Cause I know they are struggling like everybody else. I was reading something the other day, like on the official Candyman site, they were saying, if you go on the site and you say Candyman's name, like five times, Then like an unreleased trailer for the film would come up. And I was like, y'all are severely underestimating the fear that the first Candyman instilled in the audience. Ain't nobody saying that man's name five times, much less three, especially if you got mirrors in your house. Although I was looking at some new pictures of Yaya today. He's, like, shirtless. It's a black and white photo. He's, like, leaning into the photo. It's real, like, artsy and whatnot. And I was like, so wait a minute. If I go in the mirror at my house and I say this name, does that mean Yaya's going to appear in my house? It might not be a bad idea to try out. I'm just saying. I'm not doing it. But somebody else can try it and let me know. Candyman scared the fuck out of me. I ain't trying to. I'm good. And now I need to move on to another topic before I say the name too many times. And, you know. I wake up dead. Next topic. I watched Really Love on Netflix. It's a new film. Shout out to my friend Felicia Pride, who is the writer. Really cute film. Beautiful black people. And by I mean beautiful, I mean like top shelf beautiful. Like M.F. Michael Ely. The M.F., you know what that stands for. It is a nod to his extraordinary status as one of the most beautiful men alive. He has a scruffy beard in this film. He's, like, artsy. I guess scruffy beard denotes artsy. Um, my friend used to live in his building, and I was like, why don't you ever invite me over? I would like to run into Michael Ely in the elevator. She was like, you sound like a stalker. When she said it, I was like, okay, you make a point. But I actually know him in real life, like, on high by hug status. I told you the story about how, like, Michael Ely, like, popped up at my desk at work at Essence one day. He was like, yeah, I was just, like, walking by and was like, oh. He was like, I saw Essence on the window and was like, I like Essence. I've been to Essence Festival and just like came upstairs. My friend and editor at the time, like she just called my name and I think I was like eating lunch. I had like a mouthful of food and like just bitten something and I turned around like, huh? And like Michael Ealy was standing there and I was like, what the fuck? Some <laughs> vision. It's not the point. The point is, this isn't the point either. I'm going to tell you this though. So I was talking about the film again on the Facebook page. And this woman was like, so wait, so it's like a rom-com, but like with murders. And I was like, where did you get murders from? She was like, cause you said Michael Ely was in it. And Michael Ealy is always a psychopath and killing people. And I was like, I see where you were going with that. But no, there's no murder in here. Fair question. Who else is in it? Kofi is Bay. You know, I refuse to call people by their right names. Ralph Angel. He look, whoever did the lighting for this film, he looks so brown and so beautiful. And his big pretty white teeth, like, Lord God, that man got energy. Oh, he got so much energy. I had stopped having a crush on him for a while, because like I know his mom. I was out with his mom at um Soho House in Miami, and like he came to meet her. We were sitting at the table and her purse was like, I wanna say it like the in like the the, the purse chair at the end of the table and so she was like baby get my purse for me you know mothers be like get their purse and they like leave their hand in the air she did that um so he went and got the purse and brought it back over you know he didn't open the purse because he was raised right but it was just very like mother's son and ever since then I was like yo I can't like you know be cool with his mom and be like lusting after her son but I ain't seen his mom in a minute and he looks so good in this film there's like 40 percent of his ass in this film it was amazing I would have loved 100%, but just the glimpse that I got was, like, really wonderful lovemaking scene. It's, it's, it's worth the watch. Trust me. I was like, let me rewind this. <laughs> Who else is in this film? The Blair Underwood. He's gorgeous. He has his clothes on. Remember the story about, like, the pandemic? And me and my mama were supposed to go see Blair Underwood for her retirement because Blair was taking his shirt off on Broadway. We wanted to see Blair Underwood's abs. Never happened. Womp womp. He has all his clothes in his film and he looks like really beautiful, like the Blair. And then Michael, which Tristan Wilds has not been Michael for like a good 10 years, but that's where I was introduced to him and that's who he will always be to me until he plays like another iconic character. Michael from The Wire is iconic. But it was good to see Tristan Wilds. I haven't seen him in a minute, he hasn't been like in any films. When I was still living in New York, I used to see him, like, every weekend. And he was, like, always there and always out. He does not like to stay in the house. Like, he was always out. So, like, literally every time I would leave the house, he would be at an event. But all four of them are in the film. It's like this, what comes after trifecta. I don't know the word for, like, foursome doesn't just have the same sexiness to it. Like, duo, trifecta, foursome. It really doesn't have, like, the same je ne sais quoi, you know? I don't know what the right word is. But the four of them are in the same film. The film is set in D.C., There's go-go music involved. There's Marvin's, which if you are from D.C. or visited D.C. and knew people who knew the right people, then you've been to Marvin's on the rooftop. Fun moments there. Actually, many, many, many years ago, the Washington Post wrote a very nice style section feature on me. And I was at Marvin's. And I think there was a picture of me, like, on some rooftop flirting with somebody's son. As captured by the Washington Post. Horrible angle. I do not have a double chin. But in that piece and from that angle, I did. I was so upset about that. I was like, really? A double chin in the Washington Post? But, you know. Such is life. What else was there? There were two leading women. So Kofi's love interest. I've never seen her before. Beautiful woman. Gorgeous eyes. She's like electrifying to look at on screen. There's a woman that plays Tristan Wilde's girlfriend who is stunning with so much personality. It's um, obviously getting comparisons to Love Jones because I think anytime you talk about like an indie film, there's a black, I was going to say rom-com, but it's got a lot of rom, not a lot of com. But black artists listening to jazz, trying to figure out a relationship in any major city, is always going to be compared to Love Jones because Love Jones is like the gold standard for that type of film. But I liked it. You know how I am. I, I'm rooting for everybody black. Even that terrible-ass Beckett. I just told y'all you're like, how to support the film. I'm, it's terrible. But black folks are entitled to make bad films too. Lord knows white folks do it all the time. And even, you know, starring in a bad black film, a check was cut to a black creative. Rooting, as Issa said, for everybody black. Anyway, I was going to say in good black news, but my my list actually starts pretty sad. It is the 20th anniversary of Aaliyah's death. I saw all these articles about Aaliyah and all these like, you know, posts and tributes. I was like, people are celebrating the release, the streaming release, at least of one in a million, which I've been like playing nonstop. I took um, Nas out of rotation in order to like add Aaliyah. And I've been blasting it like I'm in high school again. But it's the 20th anniversary of her death. And her album just happens to have been finally released to streaming. Close to the 20th anniversary. One of her albums at least. One in a million. But I saw this interview that Dame Dash did for Entertainment Tonight. And maybe he's spoken about this before. I don't recall it. I remember when Aaliyah died, I was still working... As an entertainment reporter, I think at the time I was actually doing double duty as an intern at Vibe. And then also at Russell Simmons, he had a magazine called One World. I was writing reviews for Vibe, maybe an artist interview. My biggest interview back then was like I interviewed Little Mama for like like a 350 word profile for Vibe. One World was a smaller magazine magazine. And they would let me write more. And I think my first big interview for them was actually Wendy Williams, who's very, very sweet when the cameras are not rolling. She has an on-air persona. Um, but otherwise, she was, like, very sweet. And then every time I would see her for, like, years after that, she would always speak, which I respected. Damon Dash did this interview on Entertainment Tonight, and I had never heard this information before. If you're a huge Aaliyah fan, I may be regurgitating something, but otherwise... So Dame Dash does this interview, and the reporter asked him about the day Aaliyah died. And he said when she saw the plane, she texted him, I guess, on BlackBerry, so BBM. But she hit him up and was like, oh, this plane is too small. I don't like it. Like, I don't want to get on it. But, you know, I'm trying to get back to Miami to be with you. So he was at the house. He was getting a haircut. And he said Aaliyah's mother called him and told him that the plane had crashed and they were still looking for the bodies. She hadn't been found yet. So there was a chance. And this is what he's saying in this interview that just aired. Please look it up. So you're like, Demetra, you're making shit up. I wish I was. He said that he continued to get his haircut after hearing that, you know, his long term girlfriend and love of his life was either missing at sea or had died in a plane crash. And then he says he went upstairs and got all her clothes out his house so he wouldn't be triggered by them. And I think he said he took them to her mother's house. Which people respond to, what's the word I want to use? Tragic tragic news, tragedies in very different ways. Like the shock of it all can make you like, you know, be a little crazy. But I was just like, that's, that's some shit I probably wouldn't have shared. But I was like, you know, Dame Dash isn't really known for his filter and such. But I was like, you heard that like the love of your life died or was somewhere floating at sea and you just sat in the chair and kept getting your hair cut? I mean, I guess like, were you going to stop and like leave with like half a cut? I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is there. I just, I just thought that was a really weird share. I guess. But he was asked. But I was just like, really, Dave? That's okay. And then he said that Lenny Kravitz had offered to send his jet to take Aaliyah back to Miami. So I don't know if she told somebody she was uncomfortable or or what. But Lenny Kravitz offered to send his jet. And Aaliyah still ended up on the little ass plane because Hype Williams who was the director of the video she was shooting, Hype Williams ended up on Lenny Kravitz's plane. So the journalist asked Damon, he was like, did you ever, you know, speak to Hype about that? Like, and he was like, oh yeah. And he said, well, Dame, what did you say? And he was like, ask him. And the journalist was like, well, I got you here, so I'm asking you. And he was like, ask him. So I imagine that the words exchanged between Hype And Damon were not pleasant, one might say. But I very much would like to hear like Hype Williams' version of that story. That was such a tragic, tragic day. She was so young and so beautiful. Like just looking at people share all the pictures. She's very timeless beauty, but she's also very 90s, and the 90s are like very back in style. I was looking at a picture of her earlier today, and I was like, you know what? I should put my like straight black weave. Back in, just give me a long, bone straight weave, and cut it in those like layers in the front. Very, very '90s, but that's the style. One of the styles. One of many. You know, I change my hair all the time. But one of the many that I had back in the day. That was my cut when I. Uh, no, yeah, when I first went to college, like I shaved my head at the beginning of my senior year, and it grown out enough to like weave up when I got to college. But so that was my cut. the The classic Aaliyah hair, like that long jet black straight hair. That was my look for. At least freshman year. And then I shaved my head again and dyed it blonde for a while. (sighs) I was about to say, oh, college. But, you know, I just dyed my hair back to black after having it, like, pink, blonde. I never did green, though. But I'm not going to bleach my hair again. Anyways. Remember the white girl at ESPN who was antagonizing the black girl? She said she believed in diversity. And she wished the black girl all the success in the world. That's a quote. And she also said, quote, if you need to give her more things to do because you're feeling pressure about your crappy longtime record on diversity, which, by the way, I know personally from the female side of it, like, go for it. Just find it somewhere else. You are not going to find it for me or taking my thing away. I can't remember the exact details of that when we talked about it at the time. But the white girl was usually the person who did the reporting on. I don't know basketball. They told the black girl that you're going to do the reporting instead. The white girl got upset and she assumed that her thing that she thought was hers was being taken away because they were trying to be diverse. And so they were giving it to the black girl. It never did cross her mind that maybe the black girl was just better at it. Remember that story? So earlier today, ESPN announced that the white girl, Rachel Nichols, that's her name, redhead girl, They said, with the NBA preseason set to start in about six weeks, ESPN has removed Rachel Nichols from its coverage of the league. And they've canceled what is arguably its flagship NBA-focused show, The Jump, which Nichols fronted. Shortly after the story broke on Tuesday, Rachel Nichols posted a statement on Twitter. And I'm reading from Deadline, by the way. You know, I like to cite my sources. She wrote, quote, got to create a whole show and spend five years hanging out with some of my favorite people talking about one of my favorite things, basketball. An eternal thank you to our amazing producers and crew. The jump was never built to last forever, but it sure was fun. More to come. I don't know what happened here. Something happened, clearly, to lead up to ESPN. Basically, in in church world, I think they call that sitting somebody down. The pastor was sat down. That sounds like what's happening here, but it's weird because this whole blow up with ESPN, with, um, with Rachel getting caught on tape saying these things about Maria Taylor, it all happened a year ago. And ESPN knew of it a year ago, but it only came to light in July when the New York Times got the recording and then reported on it. And then also Maria is no longer with ESPN. Like she was in contract negotiations with them and they weren't going well, allegedly. And many people speculated that this is why the whole tape came out, because Maria was pissed at ESPN for, one, how they handled this incident, and, two, how they were handling her contract negotiations. But Maria was on ESPN, like, one Friday, and then she popped up in Tokyo on Monday, like, hello, everyone, happy to be part of the M- the NBC Olympic coverage here in Tokyo. So, sis is good. I also read today that she was getting paid, like, a million at ESPN, and she's getting three over at NBC. So she, she leveled up by switching networks, but I'm trying to figure out what happened behind the scenes. The ESPN didn't do anything for a year. They didn't do anything the whole time that Maria was still there working with her after knowing of this incident. And now Maria has gone and she's been gone for like, like a month. And now ESPN is reacting. Like what happened? Did something else happen? It sounds like something else happened. In other news, also ungood news. The shit show that is Jeopardy just will not stop shitting. TMZ earlier today confirmed via sources inside the production team at Jeopardy that Lavar Burton, who's the viewer favorite, like there was a petition for him to be on Jeopardy and I think it had more than like 300,000 signatures. According to the inside sources, Burton was never given serious consideration. As the host of the show. TMZ says that Sony Studios loved LeVar Burton. Yet quote. Didn't think he was a right fit. They said they spoke to him about other projects outside of Jeopardy. And apparently he's still being considered for those roles. And I was like you didn't think LeVar Burton. Reading Rainbow. Like he's like the face of black nerdery. Jeopardy is like mainstream nerdery. I say nerdery in a non-disparaging way. Like I definitely have extraordinary nerd tendencies. I love a random fact. Um, but like LeVar Burton wasn't a right fit. Really? Now, in fairness, I did not watch LeVar Burton when he hosted Jeopardy and I did read that his numbers were low, but I also know that he was up against the Olympics. So anyone, anyone's numbers would have been low. I did hear some folks say that he looked a little nervous or he was a little like over enthusiastic when he was hosting. They said that maybe he wasn't their, their favorite host of the guest host that had come on. But I also feel like he's LeVar Burton. He's a freaking actor. Tell him what you want and give him a chance to figure it out. The man played to Kente. You make LeVar Burton fit. It just makes sense. It's what the people want. Give the people what the fuck they want. Why y'all got to be so damn difficult? Your girl, Shikari, I'm calling her your girl because I think I'm going to have to stop claiming her. Look, Shikari, she smoked her weed. She didn't go to the Olympics. Shit happens. My mama died. I don't know how I'll react. I'd probably do something stronger than weed. I don't know. Life happens. She made a mistake. Move on. She did her first big race against women who ran in the Olympics. She came in dead last, ninth place. Afterward, she gave an interview, her usual confidence. I've heard some people call it ego or cockiness, but notably when men do it, they call it showmanship. Giving us a little razzle-dazzle, something to see. Some of your, your most favorite male athletes, especially, talk a little shit. Muhammad Ali comes to mind. Michael Jordan comes to mind. There's a lot of people that like to talk this shit. Okay, I will say that in fairness, people tend to give you a little more leadway about talking your shit when you're winning, but Shikari ran a bad race. We've seen her run great races with great times. She had a bad day. I'm not going to discredit her talent, her abilities based on one race. She still talked her shit. She still said, I'm that girl. And I actually am not mad at that at all. Like, I like that her confidence is unshaken, or at least she's giving the illusion of it. I don't think she needs to hang her head in shame or beat herself up because, as she said, it's one race. But she's starting to do, like, obnoxious shit. Like, there was reports that she was, you know, going on Twitter and people who were writing nasty things about some of the women, eight of them, who came in faster than her. She was, like, clicking like on people who were saying nasty things about them. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's kind of the most sis. Like you know at this point that, that everything that you do is being watched. Like that's that's being unnecessary. Like these women, to my knowledge, have not said or done anything to you. They haven't gone to the press and talked greasy about you. Like there's no need to be that level of messy. But then she got messier. Three-time world champion, Allison Felix, I believe. She is the most decorated track star ever. She went on Jimmy Kimmel and she was talking about her experience at the Tokyo Olympics. She was a bronze medalist. And I believe, because I didn't watch the show, I didn't watch the clips. I just read recaps of it. That Jimmy Kimmel asked her about Shakari Richardson and all the flack that she's been given and how she lost at the Prefontaine Classic last week. This is what Felix said, quote, I know that she's obviously been through so much and I hope that she's just supported. I hope people rally around her. Obviously, she has a great personality and she's brought a lot of attention to the sport. And I think she'll be in the sport for a very long time. She added, I think just more than anything, for all athletes, there's so much that goes into it. Just give her the support that she needs. I think that's a wonderful, kind, encouraging, diplomatic thing to say when asked about somebody who's very controversial in your sport. You didn't throw her under the bus. You didn't take any jabs at her. If you find anything negative in what Allison Felix said, you are looking to complain about shit that doesn't exist. Like that is a wonderful, beautiful thing to say about someone. Shikari gets word of this Kimmel interview and she goes on her Instagram stories to clap back at what I'm not sure at Allison Felix. And she says, quote, encouraging words on TV shows are just as real as well. Nothing at all. Huh? Was she not supposed to say something encouraging about you? Because she really could have thrown your black ass under the bus like so many other people have done. And she kept it classy because she's a classy lady. Like I know Shikari is, you know, like she talks her shit and, and people tend to flock to it and they give her more attention for doing it. But it's, it's like, sis, like this woman showed you nothing but grace and literally encouragement. And you found an issue with that too. Like, look, I know you are grieving your mama. I know you're going through a lot right now. Like you're under a lot of pressure, but I'm going to suggest to you that you might want to get the fuck off the internet. Cause having a bunch of feelings and dealing with grief and, and I don't know insecurity fear whatever's going on with you but playing this out on the internet and saying reckless shit about people who are far more beloved than you are it's not gonna get you what you want sis you're losing your goodwill there was a story is this on the route it was a series of tweets of people reacting to shikari going in on Allison felix and across the board people were like i'm rooting for shikari this is one of the tweets that they quoted. Hopefully somebody gets to her and explains that Allison Felix absolutely has her best interest at heart. And for the love of all that is holy, leave the Jamaicans alone. And she was like uh, liking negative tweets. There was about the Jamaican sprinters that beat her. They came in, I want to say first, second and third at the race last week. And then somebody else was like, I don't know how other people don't see that like Shakari is problematic. Another person I've supported and defended Shikari this whole time through everything. But what she not finna do is play with Alison Felix, which yeah, I know who you can go after and who you can't. Shikari does have a lot of fans. She does have a lot of people who like, who want her to win, who are encouraging her. I am one of them, but you can't go around like attacking people who are like doing nothing, but showing you grace and goodness And still keep that, you know, that goodwill and good energy that you've been receiving. Because you start to look like, you know, nuts. Or just mean. I hope she gets it together. I hope she gets a good publicist. I hope she gets a good therapist. And is able to properly grieve the death of her mother. And she doesn't self-destruct further as a result of her grief. I wish her the best. I also wish she, you know... I'm not going to say shut the fuck up, but I'm going to say, you know, bring it down to a 10, sis. Like, we want you to win. We want you to succeed. But we don't want you talking shit about other people that, you know, as a collective, we actually like. And who brought us a bronze. I'm just saying. Last but certainly not least, we need to speak about Dell and Sonia. Mr. and Mrs. Curry, for now. Back in June... Sonia Curry filed for divorce from husband of 33 years, Del Curry, father of Steph and other people. Steph's the one that gets all the attention because, you know, I don't follow sports. I was reading something earlier today and that was like, yeah, you know, Steph's brother plays in the NBA. And I was like, does he? And then he has a sister who's married to a guy who plays on his team. And I was like, really? I had no clue. But the Curries, mother and father Curry, are going through a divorce. Sonia is 55, Dell is 57. In court records, they are each blaming each other for infidelity. Mrs. Curry says Mr. Curry, who was also an NBA player, he had a 16-year NBA career that ended in 2002. She says that he has been frequently cheating on her throughout the marriage. Now, Mr. Curry, Dell, he says that Sonia has been recently cheating and that she's currently living with a man. I want to say his name is Stephen Johnson. You know what? The first time I read this story this morning, I saw Stephen and I saw Jay, and I was like, Stephen Jackson? Again? More mess from you? No. Stephen Jackson has nothing to do with this. It's a man named Stephen Johnson. Now, TMZ Googled him. And the first thing that came up is a, a, a white man with chubby cheeks. And they put a picture of, of Dell and Sonia and the white man with the chubby cheeks in the middle. And I was like, no, that story don't look right to me. That don't look right. So I went and looked up Steven Johnson myself. Steven Johnson from Virginia Tech. I did find pictures of Mr. Johnson. He's a nice looking man. Also in his 50s. He didn't play in the NFL very long. But he's the president of Johnson Commercial Development. It's one of the largest commercial developers in the southern United States. You know what that means. Mr. Johnson got some cash, some coins, and some dividends. Sonya ain't a gold digger. Sony ain't fucking with no broke niggas. Mr. Johnson is also a big Virginia Tech donor. Enough that one of the football practice fields, and this is according to the Courier-Herald. They say that one of the practice fields on the Virginia Tech campus bears his name. Now, so now Dell says that Sonia is living with this man. Sonia says, "No, she is not living with this man." She responded that she has been living alone because Dell will not allow her to live at home. Now, Sonia says she is currently in a dating relationship, but is adamant that this relationship began after the couple legally separated. In March of 2020 to over a year ago, which with news of this announcement, many people had thoughts, especially before TMZ released the story about the infidelity. And they said, come on, y'all, it's been 33 years. Y'all, y'all met in college. 33 years, over half of your lifetimes. Y'all really want to end this? There was a man on Twitter he had many thoughts. He was very concerned about Dell Curry. He was like, "Sir, single ain't what you want." I'ma read you some of his tweets, cause I, I was, cause I was looking. I couldn't find a lie. I said, "There's no lies here, Solomon, Missouri." He starts off addressing Dell. He says, "Bud, let me tell you something. You don't want to be out here. You think you want to be out here, cause you're not out here. When you get out here, you ain't gonna want to be out here no more." Last time you was out here, out here was different. He says, you think it's something better. I come to let you know the best you're going to get is what you already got. I don't know why you don't want to do the work. You're going to come out here and ain't going to like it. All they do is start podcasts and talk about plate fixing. I was like, is this man talking about me? He put in caps. To Mr. Dale, he said, love the wife of your youth. He said, but they want rounds now. Talking about sex. You better pray about coming out here. He said, you better ask your wife to forgive you. You better go listen to Lemonade and pray about it. You don't have the cholesterol to be out here. He said, you know what the group chat is? You better learn because you fitting to be the subject. Said these people are 60% crab leg, 30% iced coffee, and 10% vape pen. He said, beloved, whatever went wrong, go back and make it right. They pegging out here. It's fucking your dude for strapping one, right? Yeah. I ain't never tried that. And nobody's asked me to either, which I'm actually really okay with. Solomon Missouri says, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. These people are children of Rihanna, born in the fires of chaos. My message is simple, Del Curry. Go home and be a family man. He ain't lie. He ain't lie. I was out the game for what, like, between the dating and the divorce being finalized? Like, 10 years? Shit done not change. Somebody need to talk to Sonya, too. These niggas out here, they different. They don't want to pump no gas. They don't want to pay no bills. They want to fuck no later than the second date. Demand you swallow. Don't want to buy no flowers. Somebody need to tell Sony about Kevin Samuels and his cult. Niggas that can't leave for shit ain't got no relationship with the Lord or a ring in hand, but demand a submission. Sis, you don't want to be out here. It's dangerous in the streets. It's wild out this bitch. They steady talk about providing, but have you seen the provisions? I was watching this little man, and I do mean little. He was like Kevin hart size. But without Mr. Hart's wallet. He was standing in his living room ranting and raving about like a man is supposed to provide and a woman has to submit and respect him. He had shower curtains blocking the windows. Those weren't real curtains. I know a shower curtain when I see one. Th- those are the provisions he was providing. Sis, Dale got a nice house for you. Ask nice and see if you can go back in the house. If Dale will let you back in. You don't want to be out here with these provisions, sis work it out with Dale. You know that same man with shower curtains in his, you know that same man with shower curtains in his living room was ranting and raving about gold diggers. I was like, "Good sir, you have no gold. How dare you rant about gold diggers? You have copper. You and Dale it's been a long time being with one person for 33 years. That's a lot. I know he get on your damn nerves, and you get on his too. You stepped out, he stepped out. I need y'all to go to get some therapy, some nice counseling, separate counseling, together counseling. I know y'all got a big ass house. Y'all ain't got to be up under each other. You could be on your side of the house. He could be on his side of the house. Y'all could work it out. If Will and Jada can get past that shit with August Alstina, you and Mr. Curry can do this, Sonya. You could do this. You and, you and Mr. Dale, y'all need to get back in the same house. Y'all need to work this shit out. Because y'all been together too damn long to come out here in this trash-ass situation, girl. It's bad out here, ma'am. It's bad. And that's not to say there's no good people. Good people have a real hard time finding each other. I'm just saying. This ain't what you want. Now, old boy, he went and talked to Mr. Dale. I'm talking to you, Miss Sonia. Miss Sonia, go back home. Finish your fling with Mr. Construction Man. You getting back at Dale since he had his fun? you gonna have yours too. The fun needs to come to an end though, like in a month or so. You need to go back home, ma'am. You gonna be out here like your girl, Nicole Murphy? You a good looking woman. You gonna get some attention. You absolutely will. But you gonna be out here like Nicole Murphy fucking other people's husbands? That's not what you want. Come on, Sonia. Let's go home. It's time to go home, sis. I know, I know, I know, I know. It's like me It's like me being in Atlanta. I love it. I love it. I love the streets. And I ain't built for the streets. I got to go home. You too, sis. You too. I got to come back to L.A. You got to go back to Mr. Dell. This ain't what you want, Miss Sonia. If you decide to stay out, I mean, you grown. You very grown. You can make those choices. I'm just trying to warn you. You ain't built for what's out here. You've been out the game too long, Miss Sonia. I wish you the best. You ain't, Mr. Dell. Also, divorce is a bitch. If you can avoid it. Just live your separate lives. The highest proponents of marriage are always divorced people. If you're going to figure out a way to avoid a divorce, by all means do so. Whew. Anyway, that's the episode for this week. I think we have now covered everything. I'm sure there's some other stuff. We'll get to it next week. All right. We will talk on Tuesday. You guys have like a wonderful, long weekend. One of the upsides of living in L.A. is like it's a vacation spot. So like a bunch of my friends from the East Coast are going to be in town this weekend, which I'm very, very excited about. One of my favorite people. I lived across the hall from her for like 10 years. I met Heather when I was in college, one of my long term friends. She'll be here this weekend. So I'm excited for the chance to play with my Heather. Okay, talk soon. Bye.